0: Today, the Matildas have captured Australia's attention in a pretty remarkable way. So what's it mean for the brands who backed them, for sports marketing, and for the future of sport in this country? Podcast advertising soars while broadcast video on demand provides the only bright spot for TV. Revenue down, costs up. That's the story from Dentsu and 7West Media. So what to tell us about the trading environment? And can you run a global advertising agency out of Australia? Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast, a discussion of everything under Australia's media and marketing umbrella. I'm Michael Thompson. I'm joined every week by my colleague, Adam Lang, who's not just part of the team here, but a a former media company CEO who's worked across radio and TV and music a lot. Adam, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. And on his last couple of days here at Mumbrella, we have Editorial Director Damien Francis. Damien, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. There's plenty to talk about. There is actually a huge amount we need to get through, but we actually don't have that long, so we better jump straight into it and we'll talk about what everybody is talking about right now. It is Wednesday afternoon right now. The Matildas are playing England tonight in their Women's World Cup semi-final and on the weekend, we saw what I would say is arguably one of the greatest ever nail biters. It was in the uh, the quarterfinal against France. We don't know the outcome of tonight. What we do know is this, the Matildas have already set ratings records. Seven's broadcast was apparently viewed by a total TV audience of 4.904 million Australians. That was a Metro audience of th- just over 3 million, a, a regional audience of 1.2 1.3 million a streaming audience of 600,000. these are massive massive numbers the thing is though we do not need to know tonight's numbers to have this discussion today the matildas and the fifa women's world cup have already proven themselves to be a huge huge success in every single way imaginable adam for you what has stood out
1: Michael, I think the game has changed and I have to say credit to the organisation because the tournament itself has been fantastic. The performance of the Matildas is a credit to the coaching, to all of the organisation in Australia as well. But I think not just the game has changed, but in a great way, sport has changed. This isn't just about women's sport Mm. or about football. It's about all sport. And yes, it's also about the commerce of sport.
0: It's a big call. Adam, to say that sport has changed, but I, I, I don't disagree with you, which is a strong start from me, isn't it? But Davo, what stood out for you, maybe perhaps from a marketing perspective? Was there anything that has really just grabbed you and gone,
2: yeah, this tournament has been a success? Oh look, it's it's got to be the audience numbers, plain and simple. From what you were saying before, we don't need to discuss the exact numbers. And hey, it would have been higher if Barney Joyce and his little cohort of um, watchers had actually watched the correct match. But uh, that was extraordinary.
0: There was the entire pub, wasn't it, that was watching the wrong the wrong well, game well, from yeah. a week a week before.
2: Absolutely, and there were no hints apparently that they were watching the wrong game. But I digress, hmm. Michael. Those numbers are significant. The way the country's gotten behind it is significant. It was great to see Seven prior to the World Cup announce the sponsors that had gotten behind it. And, boy, would they have gotten what's turned out to be the deal of the century, I would suggest. Uh, But to Adam's point, this has been a big win for sport. For me, it will be the momentum that we take from this, uh, commercially in particular, whether we can maintain that level of interest which I'd, so I'd suggest is a very high bar to be fair but can sport in general and women's sport continue that momentum as we go throughout the year?
0: Before we get on to that because it feels like that's actually quite a big big topic about and probably goes back to Adam's original point of sport having changed forever. Just on the sponsors that you mentioned there, do you think those companies that really they went all in quite early, on this, do you think they get enough credit for that? I mean, say Commonwealth Bank, for instance. The, the Matildas are actually the Combank Matildas. Not that that's used that frequently, but I mean, they are still associated with them, and they are across all of the all of the branding things like zero, for instance. When I was watching the game and just seeing zero across the stadium for the entire time, I, it just struck me: this is fantastic positioning. They were right there, but well done. Whoever it was that said, we are going to back this and we're going to back it all the way, do you think they get enough credit?
2: I don't think they've necessarily got enough credit for being the first on board or particularly with this World Cup being the, the major sponsors on board. If you look through the list of major sponsors that was announced there, to your point, Zero also, Combank, Cadbury, Coke, Kia, McDonald's, Visa, these are all major, major brands with significant marketing spend who, if you're going to be fair, have the dollars to take that gamble. And that gamble, if it doesn't pay off, it's not a big loss for them now. Mm. It's paid off massively. And from a PR perspective, it was never not going to pay off. They're supporting the Matildas. They're supporting women's sport. Win, win. That's great. What we want to see now, though, is brands following that lead who maybe they don't have that huge amount of spend to risk, but they know that backing women's sport now is going to pay off commercially.
0: It's been de-risked. It's been de-risked. Adam, the advertising market, and we'll come to this a bit later in the the episode, just how tough the market is at the moment, but what does something like this do? Does it inject some positivity into the environment at the moment? Because
1: really, earlier this week, it was all anybody was talking about. It certainly does. And it's as quick as... Monday morning, the phones, the emails, the exchanges would have started ringing. What can I do to get my advertising message in this environment? It is such a good place to be. So you get involved for the broadcasters, for the narrowcasters, for all the people involved, the venues you get involved in conversations that just wouldn't be happening otherwise. How do I get onto this bandwagon? How do I get in front of this huge audience? Do I have to change my creative message now? Mm. Win, lose or draw, this is a winner. And the rest of the World Cup matches will be a winner too. But if the Matildas can carry on, which they will, win, lose or draw, they get another game out of this tournament, there's more to come for this. So that's the direct linear impact. Then beyond that, If I happen to be seven or Optus or someone else, what else can I shoehorn into that conversation? And as a brand, what else can we be talking about? So it is a catalyst for conversations about this environment and beyond.
0: Is the momentum there now? And this is now kind of getting to that point that you made before, Damo, about whether there is kind of it has been de-risked in a way. Is there momentum behind women's sport and can that kind of carry through beyond the World Cup?
1: Look, I think it can, Michael. And if you look back many years ago, decades ago, in fact, at NAB and Auskick, right, with the AFL, which was a nationally endorsed program really about grassroots football, AFL in this country. And it has had a pronounced effect. My my kids have gone through it. I was trained as a coach in that program, you know, and, and have gone on and the kids are still playing. The joy that we get when we watch the girls play in the same division around our boys playing mm. is immense. It is a whole family participation. Mums and dads are both into it. Daughters and sons are both into it. Everyone can get into it. So if this can be a catalyst for that sort of conversation, a generational change and investment in the next generation of footballers, I think it can have a profound impact.
2: Absolutely agree. I think one of the interesting things I've seen is my kids, two boys, have never been more entertained by sport than watching the Women's World Cup. Now They're big fans of other sports, but this has been a, a game changer for them. Oh, how about that for a pun? Sorry. Also, glorious. Glorious. Never apologize for a pun. Uh, I felt I had to for that one. Also, interestingly enough, I just stumbled upon this stat just mm. before we walked into the recording, which was the China match, the first match against Denmark pulled 14.58 million viewers so while we're sitting here uh, going how great is this for the matildas and women's sport in australia globally to have 14.58 million viewers on china versus denmark now obviously the population of china is a little bit bigger than australia
0: just just
2: marginally but that's a big statement for the the progress that we're making and the amount of interest that consumers have globally in women's sport at the moment.
0: It's just so great to see, isn't it? It has just been so, so satisfying and so exciting. It's really the story that we
2: needed at the moment. The one thing I would like to see off the back of this mm. is if you look at the opportunity with TV series now and what that has done to other sports, so Drive to Survive for Formula One, really uh, progressing the amount of people watching that. Sunderland Till I Die, great Netflix series, apparently is what got uh, Rob McElhenney to seriously consider investing in Wrexham. Can you imagine if we had a series about a women's team or sport that really took off? There's Angel City FC, an HBO series. hasn't quite had that impact yet, but if we saw something like that, I think that would help that momentum carry on? It would have to be in the works, wouldn't it? You would think so. You would think so.
0: That if, if it wasn't, there would need to be some questions asked at a bunch of studios going, come on, capitalize on this, make the most out of this. So what we're each going to do now is we're each going to pick a story that Mumbrella has covered this week, and we're going to bring it to the table or discussion. I have chosen this one entirely at random. (laughs) There is nothing at all that has has led me to this. It is about podcast advertising. Um, And it's an interesting story. It, it, It came from ARN and Magellan AI using AI. And you always have to wonder how much AI has actually kind of gone into this. It's very, very catchy to send a media release through that has AI kind of plastered all over it. But the data in it is actually interesting. They, they determine the top advertisers across more than 400 of Australia's most popular podcasts. Uh, according to those figures, spending during the June quarter grew by 64% compared with the same three-month period in, uh, in 2022. There, there's no dollar figures attached uh, to any of this. So there's... a little bit more detail that I would love to see here, but the trends, I mean, the trend is is kind of important here and the trends are very, very interesting and and all genres across podcasting uh, saw a lift. So it wasn't just your, your true crime. Interestingly, true crime actually shot up by 116%, which is pretty sizable. And, and I think there's often been this kind of perception around brands don't necessarily want to be associated with true crime because of the subject matter. But look at numbers like that. And clearly, there is an appetite for it. Uh, I had yeah, comedy at 127%, society and culture up by 48%, news up by 49%. I think that is that is great. Now, I'm just going to just kind of shoehorn another uh, topic in here. I know we're only allowed technically kind of one Each, but I'm doing two, Uh, and that is the uh, the TV advertising market. So it's a big, it's a big kind of topic that I'm I'm just wedging in here. Uh, And we saw some great stats uh, about that this week. Not great, perhaps if you are in fact a TV station. So the market, which includes metropolitan and regional free to air and broadcaster video on demand, recorded combined revenue of three point six billion dollars for the year ending June 30, which is a drop of seven point nine percent year on year. Now the the interesting thing here, and the reason I'm combining all of this in here, the only growth across the market has been in BVON, in broadcast video on demand, which which saw revenue from 7 plus and 9 now and 10 play, it excludes SBS, this does, increased 6.1% to $391 million for the year. What does that tell us? You've got broadcast video on demand climbing, you've got podcast advertising rising, What is that telling us about audience consumption, about advertiser demand? Is it telling us, Damo, that that people want to consume media on their own time? Don't tell us what to watch. Don't tell us when to watch it.
2: Let us do it ourselves and we will come. It's been heading that way for a little while now, hasn't it, Michael? Mm -hmm. It's telling us exactly that, uh, I would suggest. And it's also telling us that, hey, finally, thank God, we've got the infrastructure in Australia to make it happen, which after the stutters of the NBN is a wonderful thing with 5G uh, as well to, to make this happen. I need to throw this back to you, though, Michael and Adam, oh, Yes, with true crime rising so much uh, in interest uh, amongst advertisers on the podcast front and the title of your podcast being Fear and Greed, I feel that there could be a, an opportunity here.
0: There is there is an awful lot of very good, very salacious financial crimes that we and fear and greed is obviously a, a a business podcast and so we get into a lot of business news every day and business is home to some spectacularly good saucy under crime stories so watch this space I may have just accidentally committed us Adam to doing a, a fear and greed after dark
1: no that's a very different type of uh, podcast isn't it. <laughs> I was thinking more along the lines of tax evasion and white collar crime, but after dark, let's see. Maybe the dark web. well this is actually turning now into a
0: just a brainstorming session, isn't it? We are it's getting, a strategy session. Yeah, absolutely. We're getting we are getting off course. What do you think, Adam? The the infrastructure, say for for BVOD and mm. for, for podcasting, has improved enormously. Where is the appeal? And is very much a a leading question because. I, I feel like we know where the appeal is in, in podcasting, uh, particularly because uh, we can say this comfortably because we're talking on a podcast now because it is a very, very direct way to access, uh, to talk to people.
1: Exchange information and people can consume it as, where, and when they wish. I think the the infrastructure question is, is a fabulous one because that's at the pointy end. Every company that's involved has had to invest their company themselves, their technology, their teams, into how to make this transition. So you've got Optus, World Cup, they've been handling it. Mm. You've got Seven with the World Cup and the AFL, and they've been handling it. And you've got audiences, my God, ingesting this at, at record numbers. And hopefully the commerce is following. But but to your point, Michael, on the, the sharp end of the transition from analog to digital and how people want to consume it, mm. Our audiences are clearly going that way and therefore the dollars must follow. And that means everyone needs to re-engineer. Creative has to be different. The number of executions you can put online is different. So media agencies, brands, creatives have all had to grapple with how do we make the most use of this? And that's probably still in transition. And what we're seeing in the seven results and other company results is emblematic of that. But, geez, this it just says so much about what's going on to feed into all of this change and how pervasive it is. Brands, broadcasters, narrowcasters, media agencies, everyone's involved. I suspect that this is the perfect segue into the story that you are going
0: to bring to the table. And this wasn't actually planned. Unless you've done this yourself and you were deliberately leading me to this because you wanted to, to move straight onto your topic. What have you found for us this week, Adam?
1: Michael, it's very timely today we had the seven West announcement of their annual results, and you know there's so much in this. and I, I just want to point out that you know I guess refraining that idea around change, managing disruption, leading teams, every single company that we talk about, we know has a group of people behind it, not just the CEO, not just the CFO, the chairman or the board, but at every level of that company from Account coordinators and receptionists, all the way through. There is so much going on to make this change possible. And what we saw with Seven, they get 19 million Australians every month watching their content. That's a staggering number. Wow. Right. And they are number one in the national audience share. Their total TV advertising, Michael, as that market, as you pointed out earlier, back 7.9%. Now, that's a tide going down very hard for any individual entity to affect the whole tide of, of advertising and television. But their share has done well, 38.5% across the year. Digital earnings are close to 50% of their underlying earnings, right? So what a transition, again, emblematic of that change from analog to digital, nearly 50%. So for Seven, I think it's a great articulation of what they've been able to do, but it doesn't mean the change is over and it's all rosy from here. You know, It really is there's an uncertain macroeconomic environment, cost of living pressure, including interest rates, including energy costs, including property costs, rent, the price of food, insurance. So there's so much for consumers to cope with in the period ahead as well. That that seven and all media operators will have to cope with. So I think it's it's an incredible set of numbers mm. in an incredible time. And so you know what we've seen there with seven's results. I think is quite illuminating where this leads us to see or what this leads us to see from, from Nine Entertainment, from Southern Cross or Stereo, from ARN here, there and everywhere and all other companies in the near weeks or in the coming weeks will be really interesting too.
2: Adam, I'll be really interested to ask you as a former CEO of a major media company, a, it's a two-part question. I like asking multi-part questions, just to confuse and baffle our guests. A, how would you rate James Walton's performance thus far, leading seven? And B, how would you navigate, what? let's say, the next half year where we know there will be economic challenges continuing uh, and consumer spend is likely to be soft?
1: So I think uh, on James Warburton's performance, I'd have to say, you, you've got to acknowledge he began really in COVID. You know, what an extraordinary time for anyone to lead a company, let alone something as high profile as seven. You know, it's a consumer brand that everybody knows. It's B2B and it's B2C. So I'd say that on, even on these numbers, all you'd have to say is that's a good performance You know in a very disrupted time. So to him and his team, I think there's a lot of credit and there's a lot, I think, a lot of fascinating developments still to come with how this transition continues to be managed. In terms of the, the first half, this critical July to December half, we know that you know football finals start in September, October, November, critical retail period and consumption drives 50 to 60% of the overall economy. So, It is going to be incredibly important to finish this winter season of sports well, use the World Cup and finals to market their programs that they've got to come into this this critical period, September, October, November, December, and really set up that second half of the year well also. So I think everyone's eyes should be watching how well this team can execute.
0: You can never stump Adam with a multi-part question, you could go up to, like you could go parts A through Z, a 26-part question. The pen comes out, the piece of paper, the notes start going on the questions, and you will never stump him. Michael, that
2: sounds like a challenge to me. I was just
0: thinking I'm setting a challenge here. Let's see how we can go, not today, next week, and maybe maybe it'll be a three-parter, maybe an eight-parter. Who knows? Game on. Oh, I love that. I love the, uh, the the sporting spirit today. Damo, what have you found for us? We've been uh, swimming around in uh, news all week. What story has stood out for you?
2: We have, Michael. I'm going to take this to agency land and step away a little bit from media at the moment. The story that I've picked out is the fact that one of the biggest advertising executives, both in terms of performance and personality, is moving back to Australia to base himself. I'm talking about Matt Baxter, the global CEO of Huge. Now, Huge as an agency may not be a name that uh, everyone in the local market knows of just yet, but Matt Baxter probably will be. So for those playing at home, uh, formerly the CEO of UM locally. He's also had experience in local market at Mediacom as well, also at Naked Communications. Uh, A lot of experience there. Very boisterous personality, likes to push for some pretty forward-thinking ideas. Now, he left to take up a global role at IPG Media Brands in 2015, moved to New York with Henry Tager and a few other very big names in the industry, very quickly then went to initiative, global CEO role there. That was 2016 and has stayed in that role until recently where he changed more towards the creative side. And that was huge, which is a, an agency with a bit of a different model, likes to sell products rather than go in for pitches. He's been running that from Brooklyn in New York since 2021. One of the big moves he made while he was there was shutting down all the global offices of HUGE and only keeping the Brooklyn office, the Global HQ, open. Now, on Tuesday this week, uh, it was very quietly announced that he was moving to Sydney, relocating for family reasons and when I say quietly uh, announced in a competitor trade media publication rather than a press release much quieter much quieter which uh, we've picked up on I had a chat with Ben Skelsey who is the local managing director of Huge now Huge did open up an Australian presence uh, recently with Ben at the helm he's based in Melbourne that happened at the start of this year. He assures me he's still very much involved in Huge. He's still very much leading the local operations here and trying to get the word out. Matt will still very much be doing global work, uh, traveling frequently. He said the only difference between himself and, and Matt's relationship now will be the fact that their video calls will be in person more often. Uh, but a very interesting uh, situation to have a global CEO, based locally in Sydney. The time zones are horrendous to the US, but particularly to Europe. So very interesting news on the agency front.
1: Matt Baxter is a provocateur. So I am fascinated to see what he does here. No matter what he does, you know it's going to be interesting.
2: It's going to be fascinating. I expect a few headlines from Mumbrella moving forward on on what Mr. Baxter has to say. I'll certainly be looking out for them. To give him the benefit of the doubt, and again, Adam, I don't have a multi-part question for you this time, so apologies, Michael, I've failed already.
0: That's okay. We'll save it for next week and we will just flatten you.
2: Excellent. I do have a one-part question for you, Adam, but the first thing I would say is, this is not the first time we've seen something like this happen. Uh, hey, a few years ago MNC Sachi Sport and Entertainment's global CEO Steve Martin came and based himself out here for a, a couple of years. Unfortunately, that did lead to the local MD stepping aside, but it's happened before. Justin Graham actually talking about MNC Sachi, the local MNC Sachi boss now has a global role as well, which is largely doing from australia adam can you lead a global business from australia
1: look notionally yes but But, it has to be very hard right so we're talking about teams before you know whether it's densu and their results this week seven their results this week or the matildas all very different and in operating environments and constraints but You you have conversations in the office with people, even colleagues that you don't normally, but because you bump into them. You have conversations in cities that you live in with people because you bump into them. You know, whether that is an event, an umbrella event, you know, whatever it is, a a coffee shop. They just don't happen if you're not there. You know, they can't. So, you know, it's very rarely that you spontaneously Zoom someone and they're, they're just there, oh, hello. You know, so it is really... I think materially different. And so I would just expect that Matt is planning on a whole lot of travel. You know, he's going to be as a provocateur and an agent for change and garnering business, he'll have to travel and work to do it. And he'll have to have great teams around him to support that.
0: Do you think he's going to be inevitably drawn into more local activity here though? Um, oh, just, just because of the access, because this is the
1: time zone that he will be operating in. Yeah, that. I do. I think you're right, Michael. And, you know, those clients that know him will want to talk to him and that is righteous. You know, so he'll have people, a network of people that trust him that, of course, will contact him. Yeah.
2: I was saying this to you the other day, Adam, is that if you're a marketer in the local market looking to huge to use their products, the first thing you say is, can Matt be involved in this? With Why wouldn't everyone knows him in this Absolutely. industry? Why wouldn't you? Whether he likes it I or not. I can see him.
1: He's in the office. Can't he come in?
2: It's star power. 100% it's star power. This industry thrives on it. This yeah. is, They're all celebrities, whether it's Matt Baxter or Gary V or Mark Ritson. This industry makes its own celebrities. If you're a marketer, you want to work with those people. Simple as. I just like seeing someone
0: sticking to the remote working kind of principle.
2: I mean, after Zoom got everyone, and
0: we saw this the, a couple of weeks ago with Zoom insisting that everyone returns to uh, to the office if to, they live within 50 miles, which is a decent distance, 50 miles of a Zoom office, you've got to head back in person.
2: But they probably on. got better public transport. And no no offence to Sydney public transport, mind you, but to, also to be fair, I think even Matt Baxter himself has admitted the whole working remotely thing isn't necessarily all it was uh, set up to be, but that's another can of worms to open on another day. Well, it was born of necessity, wasn't
0: it, in the end? And it, and it's it's no longer as necessary as it once was, and now it's a case of finding a hybrid, finding a solution that actually works. I say that through gritted teeth because I'm, a, I'm I've discovered over the last couple of years that I was meant to be a hermit. I was meant to stay home. And so leaving the house has been a has um, been an exercise in public transport navigation, and
2: I've loved it. I'm glad that we were able to introduce you to TripView, which was sensational in its own right, Michael. <laughs> I have never used this app called TripView,
0: and uh, when when I walked in to a meeting the other day and was complaining about it taking so many trains and I showed you the app that I was using. And I think your reaction was, what are you using? You know, there are easier ways to do this, right? And that kind of led into what has been a very, very productive week, your final week mm. here with Mumbrella. And and the thing is, you have been working so hard right up to the very end. How, how are you feeling?
2: It's still not over. We've got the Travel Marketing Summit tomorrow, mm-hmm. uh, which I will be at and I'm looking forward to it but it's been great. It's been great to just keep going. Why not? I love the brand. I love the business. Why, why would you take your foot off the accelerator? I almost feel like I should just come back next week, if nothing else, A, to, to work with you two good folks, and B, to ask Mr. Adam Lang multiple multi-part questions. I'm devastated I'm going to miss out on this opportunity. Now that we've dangled that
0: carrot in front of you, who knows?
1: It's cancelled. I'm back. Damien, one of the um, benefits of being involved in this podcast with Mumbrella is working with you. I'm sorry it's your final week, but for the briefest moment, we got to work together.
2: I
0: very much appreciate that, Adam. On that note, I think we better wrap things up. I think we've uh, pretty much covered everything we can today in the time that we have for us. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Michael. And thank you, Damien. Thank you, Michael. This is the Mumbrella Cast. Remember to hit follow on the podcast. Head along to mumbrella.com.au for more info on everything that we've talked about today. Thank
1: you very much for your company. See you next time.